Hello, Gallery Church family. I'm so glad that you're able to join us here online this week. And we treasure the opportunity uh, to talk about our faith, our hope, and our love that is found in Jesus Christ with you through this means of communication today. So whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, we welcome you. So glad that you're here with us today. But as you're getting settled in, um, we would love for you right now to just stop what you're doing. Just take a deep breath. I want you to do that with me because we're really needing to pause ourselves, settle ourselves, gather our senses from all the ways that we've just been pushed and pulled and, uh, and challenged this week. So right now, just pause where you are. Take a deep breath. Let's let that out. Let's just allow ourselves right now to kind of get centered on what we're hoping to accomplish by sitting down here together today. As we do settle in, I want us to reflect on these words found in Psalms 51 verses 10 through 12. And as we center on this, we want to become more aware of God's holiness and we want to be more conscious of just the brokenness that's within us, that's really at the root of all of the things that are troubling us today. We want to use this verse to set a tone for a way of examining ourselves through these next few moments together, maybe even instill in us a unified spirit of a need for repentance in us as we gather today. So here's the verses. They're on the screen. If you feel comfortable, would you read them out loud together with me right now? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalms 51, 10 through 12. Lord Jesus, please let that be true in us today. If you're new to the Gallery Church and this is your first time being with us, may we welcome you. We are so thankful for your trust and giving us your time today. We would encourage you right now to download our app. That's how we communicate the majority of our information to our church family. You can find that in most of the app platforms, no matter what type of phone that you have. You can just search Gallery Church Baltimore, download the app, select Gallery Church Downtown as your church that you are following through the app. And we would love for you to use that to connect with us. We'd love to help you find life in our church family. Love to pray with you. We can do that all through the app. Also want to remind all of you at the very end of this gathering uh, online, if you're watching it live at 1030, there is a Zoom link in the description where you can join in to a time of the Lord's table and questions and responses at the end of our gathering. And so that usually will take place sometime around 11.15 to 11.30. So you'll be in a waiting room for a few minutes, but we'll help you join in. So here are a couple of announcements that I think are really important. We have started an email update that goes out every Tuesday, a way of trying to help communicate and increase our church's capacity to be able to come back um, with a sense of organization and purpose through everything we faced over the last year and a half through this pandemic. 
Um, and so you can find in a description a link that will allow you to go and sign up for that email newsletter if you're not already receiving it. I also encourage you to check your spam folder because it's very likely that you already are on it if you're a part of the Gallery Church and your computer may not be recognizing it and you might need to give it permission. Um, Pentecost Sunday is coming up on May 23rd. This is a very special time of worship and gathering for us where we bring together all of our brothers and sisters um, from our neighborhoods together in one place. And we believe that we can do that safely here at our downtown location. And so we would encourage you to plan on joining us. Now, it does start at 10 a.m., which is a half hour earlier than our normal broadcast or our normal time of gathering in person. So try to plan on being here by 9.50 so you can get parking and find your way in. You do still need to register for this gathering so that we can know who's coming and continue to track ourselves for safety as we are coming through this pandemic together. But it is a special time for us. And, and as your pastor, I need to see you here that Sunday. So if at all possible, you feel safe, we need to be together to celebrate the birthday of the church and the gift of God's spirit that is blessing us, that we need to become more aware of his blessing so make sure that you don't miss May 23rd, if at all possible, 10 a.m., not 10.30, 10 a.m. And we also need you to mark your calendar right now, Sunday, June the 20th, 5 p.m. There's a special covenant family meeting that we're going to be having together. All right. One of the things that we've been doing online and in person through this pandemic has been reminding ourselves every Sunday through a common prayer together of the generosity of our Father in heaven and the way that he's lavishly loved us and using that as a reminder of how we should be lavishly loving and being a generous display of God in our community and around our family today, just like our Father in heaven. And so right now, whether you're I'm looking at the app or you're watching on the screen, would you please share in this prayer together with me right now? Father in heaven, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstanding the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it is, can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money, that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all of the world. Amen. We would encourage you right now to go ahead and give. Um, you can do that through the app. You can go to our website. You can get a mailing address. You can send a paper check. Um, there's ways in which we can continue to give so that the testimony of his church is that there's no needy people amongst us. Right now, I just want to encourage you with your Bible, with your notes, to um, be prepared to listen um, to all that is going to be shared today um, through God's word.
Welcome to week six of our seven-week series, A Culture of Goodness. A church's culture matters. We believe that as we live in a culture, our culture begins to live in and into us. How we understand and feel about our Father in Heaven is formed and fostered by the church we attend. This week, our focus is on nurturing truth. In God's grace, the Holy Spirit opens us to the truth, transforming us into new creations and a community of goodness. When we learn and embrace God's truth, we can effectively talk to our neighbors about Jesus as Lord of all, and we will live lives that announce the good news of Jesus Christ. Telling the truth is at the heart of the circle of Tov. But truth-telling is not instinctive in toxic cultures where false narratives proliferate. It must be developed, becoming a way of life, a way of constant exposure to our Tov God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. Laura Beringer Sorrow is feigned. Confession is partial. Forgiveness is exploited. Restitution is an afterthought, and reconciliation is an illusion, as long as truth remains unnamed. Dr. Wade Mullen Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. Hi everyone, my name is Lana and I'm one of the the elders here. Today we are continuing our series um, that has been consistent through several chapters of the teaching. And um, in the past couple of weeks, we heard Pastor Leon speak on the topic of nurturing grace in the church. Then Blake walked us through forming a goodness culture that nurtures justice. Then Rogerio spoke on the culture of service, and Paolo last week taught us through the people-focused culture. So while those have been separate topics, we are not really able to divide them in our pursuit of forming a culture of goodness. It's a circle, or a Venn diagram, if you will. A continuous effort, a pursuit that knows no end, And there is really no perfecting or finishing our work in building a culture. So today we are simply adding a feature, a quality, a factor that cannot be left out, I think, because it is critical to what we believe about God, who he is, and ultimately it is so critical and I think it influences the choices that we make. So today we are going to talk about nurturing the culture of truth. So before we can even attempt to form a culture that nourishes truth, I think quite logically, we must understand and know what truth actually means and be on the same page about it and what it also does not mean. Truth is a very big word and seems to be a complex concept. Theologians like C.S. Lewis and others have spent decades of their lives dedicated to finding what truth is and trying to define it for others. And I think the concept might be relatively simple, but let's look at it together. So when I was Googling definitions of truth, it revealed some of the 
commonly acceptable um, variables of meaning. For example, dictionary.com says the actual state of the matter in conformity with reality. Wikipedia says to be in accord with fact or reality. And the Merriam-Webster dictionary says the body of real things, events, and facts. Also fidelity. I also found a definition I really liked from Lifeway. An understanding of the facts that corresponds to reality. Which is still a broad definition, but I thought that we could just center on this one for the purpose of this teaching. So why is it so hard for us to even define the truth and what truth means? That's quite discouraging. Such a basic definition, such a basic point. And if we don't agree on it, because there's so many definitions and so many meanings of it, it can be quite discouraging to even proceed to understand what we believe about truth and what truth is. So I think there seems to be an inconsistency of how we look at physical truth versus relational truth or spiritual truth. I'll give you a couple of, a couple of examples. Many of you here are scientists. Those of us who are not, myself included, let's try to follow along anyways. There is no room for broad-mindedness in the chemical laboratory. Water is composed of two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. The slightest deviation from that formula is forbidden. The same holds true in biology, athletics, mechanics, and math. Okay, let's look at a simpler example. When you go to the bank teller, or these days you check your app to see how much money you have in your bank account, you see quite an absolute number there. There's not a theory about it. I mean, you may have a theory about it. You may try to negotiate with your bank to see whether they see $350 in your bank account and you see a $500 balance in your bank account. But ultimately, it's a number. It's an absolute number that... It is um, really non-disputable. You just have to go with it. But when we look at truth in the metaphysical world, we want it to be fluid, non-factual, morally neutral, and open to interpretation. We hold this position because spiritual realities make moral judgments about right and wrong about our behavior, about our opinions. So why are we so much more broad-minded, even as Christians, on the topic of truth? I believe society we live in has given us a skewed idea and a skewed understanding of what truth actually is. Have you ever heard that truth as perspective? Or have you ever heard somebody say, my truth versus your truth? Every one of us wants validation that our side of the story is the truth. That the other person's side of the story is somehow flawed and does not provide all the details that we think should be part of the truth. In other words, we want to say it's all relative, which actually comes from a theory called relativism. Let me offer this thought to you today for consideration. There is a difference between truth and perspective. And I think once we understand that, we can go very far with what God says to be true about himself versus 
other topics that are considered perspective, and we can debate them for ages. In fact, the question of truth came up in the court where Jesus himself was persecuted. Pontius Pilate himself asked Jesus, what is truth? Let's look at the verses together. John 18 verses 37 through 38 says, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So let's pause here and dive deeper. Pontius Pilate seemed to have been sarcastic. At least that's how I read it. Jesus gave him a straightforward answer, though. Then Pontius asks him, what is truth? He seemed to have been predisposed to judge Jesus, but he still asked him an open-ended question. Sure, it could have been mockery. We can talk about all the characters Pontius Pilate might have had, Pilate might have had, and we can discuss his character and how that could have influenced even the intonation in this question. We can reenact it all day long. But he still asked Jesus, the person who was persecuted in the court, an open-ended question. I was curious when I saw that in the scripture. We have an opportunity as Christians, to ask Jesus open-ended questions about truth. Even those of us who do not believe in God have an opportunity to ask him direct open-ended questions. He does not shy away from those. He will actually answer. And to me, that shows that Pontius Pilate was looking for some ultimate answer beyond which there were no further questions. Do any of you relate to your day-to-day life? Are you looking for an answer that will just satisfy all your questions? And beyond that, you will have no further questions. You know, when you speak to a a five-year-old or a seven-year-old, like when I talk to my nieces, and some of the basic concepts, they just want to ask why. Like, why are the stars so far away? Why are they yellow? Why are they only coming out at night? And then when you provide a simple answer, it just doesn't seem enough. They want to ask, but why again? So they actually go deeper in knowing the concept that they're very curious about. And I want to challenge us today. Do we go deeper in our knowledge of God, in our knowledge of who he is, who he says he is? When was the last time you asked Jesus, but why? But why did you say this scripture? Why? Did Paul go through this? God, why did you answer in parables versus giving the disciples a straightforward answer in this scripture? And one of the things that I want to talk about Pilate struggling with is that he seemed to have believed that Jesus' answer was true. But at the same time, He rejected it, which leads me to my next point. You can have the facts and not know the truth. You can have information and not know the truth. 
You can have emotions and feelings on the matter and not respond to the truth itself. Because Pilate was standing in front of the truth. And he had information about what Jesus did, that he proclaimed himself king. He asked him follow-up questions. Are you really king? And he still rejected it. So my question midway through this teaching to you is, what do you actually believe to be true about Christ today as you listen to this? What formed that belief, what you think to be true about Christ? Have you ever considered to search for him to prove to you that he himself is the truth? Or have you just accepted those facts as basis? You know, some of us grew up in just Christian families and we kind of carry that belief about God with us throughout our lives. Have you ever questioned what you believe to be true about God and why? I want to offer a couple of scriptures for us to look at today um, that I believe will serve as foundation of what God says he is. John 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John 8 verses 31 through 32 say, So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14 verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 16, verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And lastly, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now that we have looked at the definitions of truth and its source, or rather who truth is, let's look at infusing um, truth into our culture. How do we actually do that? I have some good news. We don't have to do it by ourselves. In fact, we can't. We as Christians are called to abide in the Lord. John 15 verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire as they are burned. So once we abide in him, which is a continuous verb, you don't just abide once and then you're like, abiding forever as a habit. It's a continuous effort. It's an action. It's a pursuit. 
similar to what I was saying, how forming a culture, I was saying in the beginning of this teaching, forming a culture is not a one-time thing and you never arrive at forming a culture of any kind, whether it's your family, your office environment, it could be your community, it could be just your friendships. You are continuously infusing your culture with actions, with words, with edifications, with service, with truth, with love, and with focusing on others versus focusing on yourself. Because if there's a culture where the person focuses on themselves, people will quickly start falling away. So abiding is a lifestyle. It stems from a conversation with God, a relationship with God, based on love, not fear, based on a mutual pursuit. We learn how to mimic him. We learn how to listen to him. We learn how to recognize him. We learn how to abide in him, how to act like him. And he doesn't deny that. He always reciprocates that request. Because he yearns to spend time with us. He yearns to know us more, for us to know him more. And as we learn how to abide in him, our sinful desires will be changing. And we will pursue truth with with God's help, by definition. When you start operating in God's view of the matter on pretty much any topic, any case, Truthfully, you begin to see the supernatural of his presence entering to the circumstances of your day-to-day life. In the book that we've been going through um, as part of the series um, on Tov, the goodness culture in the church says, if God is the truth, our faith is the truth, and we are to walk in the truth, and anything that opposes the truth or undermines the truth is not of God and not part of the truth-telling Tov culture. There is no room in a church called Tov for lying, for deceit, for cover-ups, suppressing, gaslighting, or spinning the truth. All of those things are toxic. Telling the truth is who we are as Christians because we abide in Christ. So I'm going to pause there. And in the beginning, when I was trying to define truth or find different definitions of truth, it says in the word that in the Bible that Christ is truth. So it's not what truth is, is who truth is. That becomes part of the definition of a person that actions no longer define you. That definition defines you. And if we abide in Christ, we are also becoming truth, meaning it cannot be separated from who we are. Just the same way as we cannot be separated from Christ once we dedicate our life to him. So if we are abiding in Christ and behaving the way that he's behaving, when we don't tell the truth, we in fact deny our identity and our calling. And we do the same to the culture that we are trying to form. Because as Rogerio taught us a couple of weeks ago, we are part of one body. One arm does not act 
without the other arm. They act together. They're supposed to act together. We are supposed to act as one organism, as one um, unit, united front. So every action that we commit infuses what we want our culture to show and represent. Do you understand how important each of you are in every culture that you're part of? Whether it be church, your community, your family, your immediate family, your extended family, your friendships. Those are all cultures that you bring your daily behavior to, your daily opinions to, you, in fact. So how do we actually do truth? And that's the reason I'm, I'm just rolling with that verb today. We're not telling the truth. We are doing truth. Truth is part of our culture, part of our identity. And if we are just telling the truth, well, does it mean that what we, if we don't say anything, we remain truthful? No, our actions must correspond to what we say. That's integrity, right? And integrity is part of truth. So we are going to use this verb saying uh, today for the, the purpose of this teaching. And we're going to say we are doing truth as part of our culture here. Telling the truth, number one, telling the truth, doing the truth, and revealing the truth. Number two, resisting to cover up the truth, to mask it, and to fight anything that is not truthful. So did you notice that first is the like affirming part of, yes, I'm going to tell the truth, I'm going to do the truth. But number two is resisting the lie, resisting to cover up truth which also is part of the fight. Sometimes you will have to just not conform to the lies that are being said around you. You will have to resist it um, in order to continue to maintain and build the culture of truth. It can be in your personal life. It can be in the life of any community that you're part of. And then number three, and not necessarily in that order, surrender to him who is truth himself. I believe that without that action, the third part, we are disconnected from the vine once again. And we cannot be building any culture, especially the truth culture or the people-focused culture or the grace-giving culture that these are the topics we've been covering because those definitions come from him alone, from our Lord. So without him, we can only attempt at mimicking the best version of truth we can produce versus actually being connected to the vine. So in all regards, those three actions, in all regards, in both personal lives and in your public lives, just like Jesus did, if we remain truthful in both of our, um, in all of the parts of our lives, we will show, just like he did, a life in which our words match our de deeds like his did. If we give a word to someone or we say that we have decided to be a Christian, then by definition, we are partaking of Christ's truth. We are living it out day to day. Because he is depositing that truth into us as we abide in him. 
It is an effort. Don't misunderstand me. We have to work on being truthful. It is an effort and it's a conscious one. But at the same time, he is giving us that supernatural strength. If we believe God, who he says he is, and he is a provider of that truth and he's a protector of that truth. So he is going to help you do that. If you commit to living as part of his um, disciples, we surrender to the higher truth also so that we are accountable and continue to grow through the vine. So now that we've established that these are the actions that we are to take in order to continue to build the culture of truth, where do we start? Like as we leave today, those of you who know me know that life application is one of the biggest topics that I talk about in my small group. And if you're not part of the small group, please email me. I would love to have you. We must commit as... um as part of like actually entering into building of this culture, we must commit and exercise confession, repentance, sacrifice, purification, and forgiveness. Big words there, right? So when was the last time you've actually confessed your sin to one another? Yes, we confess our sins to God and we are absolutely called to do that as Christians. And if you have not done that, I challenge you to examine your life today and to do that today before you even leave this place and make it a practice. We are reconciled with God through our confession to him and with him. And it's a continuous, like, just like the word abiding is, it's a continuous effort. We don't just confess something once and then for the rest of our lives we are clean from it. We may, it may happen, but based on the years that I've walked with Christ, it's a continuous effort that you are just step-by-step recommitting, reconfessing, and asking for forgiveness, having a relationship with God. So if we are reconciled with God through our confession to him, To attempt to move on past our sin without a confession to God is actually cheapening God's grace. As John 17, 17 says that we read earlier today, we are sanctified by the truth. Sanctification and purification are also continuous efforts. As we go about life, things happen to us, things happen around us, we are in our actions are influenced by things that are, you know, stress infused, anxiety infused, whatever the case may be. We are continuously surrendering to the vine and connecting ourselves to the vine and being sanctified, sanctified by the truth and being purified by God. So we do confess our sins to God, but the Bible also says in James 5 16, to confess our sins to one another, to stay accountable to one another, ask for forgiveness honestly, and forgive if being asked for it. One real caveat though, just as grace is not cheap and we are not to cheapen it by trying to move past our sin without confession to God, grace was purchased for us by the shed blood of Jesus. Telling the truth to one another comes at a cost as well. 
Say, let's just look at this example. If a person commits a crime and they are yet to be caught, somehow they escaped, no one knows it was them who did it, they're walking this earth, quote unquote, freely, then one day they get convicted of their crime and the lie that they've been carrying and trying to cover up. So they go into the court, the precinct, wherever they go, and they confess it. They turn themselves in. They say, this is as it was. This is what happened. I'm at fault. I can no longer carry this. And there we go. The truth is on the table. Will they be let go? Of course not. They will be taken into custody and persecuted according to the law for the kind of crime they've committed. So in the same way, it works with us, with people, when you're confessing to the person. It does not work the same way with God because God already knows what you did. But when you're confessing to another person, truth might cost you. And I want to be completely honest with you about that today. It might cost you that relationship or it might cost you, it might actually salvage it. You never know. You have to take the risk if you want to live a truthful life. Because I believe confession works wonders in the eyes of another human. And lying and covering it up may even take you further in damaging that relationship. But you never know until you actually speak up and confess to one another. Sometimes we think keeping the truth or by keeping the truth, we might be protecting the other person from getting hurt. But in fact... That is just us thinking about ourselves and not building a people-focused culture, which Paula spoke about last week. God pursues the truth. He reveals the truth and he is the truth, as we've established earlier. In a church called Tov, truth-telling becomes the way of life, a way of constant exposure to our Tov God who reveals himself in Christ Jesus. Plus, we serve a special God. In his grace, the Holy Spirit opens us to the truth. As we embrace the truth, the Spirit turns us into a committed band of truth-tellers who seek justice, who seek to form a people-first culture, who seek to give grace because they have received the grace that is infinitely more than they can give. And this leads me to my last point and example. Restoration. In Luke 19, 1 through 10, um, there is a story uh, about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And it leads me to this additional feature of God that I just cannot admit in this teaching. Is that God himself pursues truth for us when we don't even recognize it or we don't even realize it. He is truth, as we've established. He represents truth. He protects truth and he reveals truth. You may ask, what if I have not been truthful? What, what now? I know what I did. I know what I said and I know it wasn't true, but I haven't really talked to anybody about it and I don't really know what to do. Just pause here and say that to God. Call that person and say that to them. You are welcome 
to do this to God. He is a professional restorer of things. He is the best in the business. I guarantee you. He is truth, remember? That is him revealing himself to you, if you think that today. For those of you who know God and who've walked with him for some time, you know that our intentions can be pure, but we stumble. We make mistakes. We lie. We cover it up. Months, years, days later, we still don't say anything. But God is not afraid to receive you after months and days and, and years. We all mess up. I want, I don't want to build this picture that, you know, only certain individuals do this. We all are having that same problem. Truth is to be fought for and pursued. And Christ pursues it for us, like I said. And we are simply to be connected to that vine, to allow him to help us walk in truth. There's absolute healing in whatever mess we are in. So today, before you, if you're watching on YouTube or any other services, um, any other platforms, respond to this call to walk in truth. If you have fallen off the wagon, confess it to God, confess it to the other person. And if somebody else was involved that got hurt in in part of the non-truth speaking actions that you've committed, call them. God forgives you and calls you to walk freely in the restoration that you've received from him. And therefore, we as one body have to be continuously abiding in him, continuously bringing this, you know, um, not perfect, but constantly being sanctified part of the culture that is me, that is you, that is every one of us that come to our church and the bigger C church. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at this complex topic of the truth, God, what is truth? Reveal it to us one more time today. Who is truth, God? What do you say about yourself that is true, God? Lead us, Lord God, to an understanding, Lord God, that is deeper than what we currently have about who you are and how you are calling us to live in truth and build the culture of truth, God. I ask for conviction in our hearts, Lord God, when we don't say truth or we don't do truth. I ask, Lord Jesus, for an absolute healing, confession, Lord God, for a safe place, Lord God, in our body, Lord God, as Gallery Church, Lord God, in our body as every growth community, in our body as people who are present in this room here today. I ask, Lord God, that there be healing, that be a restoration, Lord God, as we restore our relationships with you, you restore relationships between one another. I ask, Lord God, that as we are going through this Tove culture building, Lord God, I ask Jesus that every single cube be put together, Lord God, by, um, by you, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, focus on you as we do it. 
as we give grace, as we tell the truth or do the truth, as we build the people-focused culture, as we seek justice, Lord God, those things are impossible to achieve without you. And I ask, Lord God, that you are with us, that your presence be with us as we do this together as one church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We want to invite you to respond to the word of God that we just received. We know that he is speaking and working in our hearts. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what is the truth? What do you believe to be true about God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit? No matter where we are in our understanding of truth and in the journey of nurturing truth in our lives, we have growth we can pursue. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the next step in the truth journey you need to take today. Do you need healing and restoration in your heart and mind? Ask God to help you discover someone you can invite into that process and begin practicing James 5.16 with this week. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit, acknowledge His work in us, and celebrate that we are lavishly loved by our Father in Heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, church family, as we come to the end of our gathering, I remind you that there is a moment of Zoom lingering. Link is in the description wherever you're watching this online, where we can take the Lord's table together and uh, kind of end our both in-person and our online gathering together. We'd encourage you to join us in that link. Um, but right now, as we come to the end of this gathering, let's um, let's let's do this for our benediction. Would you just extend a hand uh, towards me as I extend a hand towards you? And here's our final words. As we go from here today, may we cultivate truthfulness in our church family. May we continue to see that if we are going to have a culture in our church that is reflective of our Father in heaven, of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, 
we must learn to continue to speak the truth and love to one another. No room for lies, no room for you and I to be deceptive in any way in order for the community around us to trust us that we have good news. We must speak the truth to one another. May God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Pentecost gathering where his church is coming together, all of us, every tribe, tongue, and nation to celebrate the birth of our church. Look forward to seeing you next week, 10 a.m.